Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Cobalt Blue is the owner of the Broken Hill Cobalt Project. It's a top five incoming cobalt project ex-Africa. It's long life. We have a 20-year uh, project life anticipated. It's very large scale in terms of its metal units of 3,500 tonne. We're looking to produce both an intermediate cobalt as well as a battery-ready product, which will ship ideally straight to those partners. We're domiciled in Australia. It's a safe, stable jurisdiction. We're participating in ESG um, outcomes for us in terms of security and supply chain. Uh, and uh, we're basically a year or so away from final investment decision on the way to construction. Joe, how are you? Well, thank you, Matt. Thanks for having me on. Well, it's great to have you back. We saw you back in April, but you've just gone and raised some money, about 15 million Aussie. Well done. We have. Thank you. Thank you. It was a it was a, a stepping stone in our company. What we've effectively done is brought on nine new global funds um, onto the register across US, UK and Asia. And these are now resources specialists, battery material specialists. And it adds that discipline and I think patience um, uh, to the register. And what we're trying to do, to coin a phrase, is internationalise the register. What we're trying to do is create um, those investors that would invest typically in Toronto, New York or London, um, uh, bring them on board with us. And as a result of that, re-rate the stock as if it was listed in those domiciles. And we think that's a two or three-fold re-rate from where we are today. Fantastic. And so tell me a little bit more about that, that need to internationalise it. So one, obviously, it gets a few more eyes you know, abroad um, onto the stock. But are you trying to reduce the, the, um, the number of um, retail in here? Is that, has that been a problem for you? Is that one of the problems you're solving or is it a bit more than that? Uh, no, no, we're not, we're not, we're not um, taking a view on retail. What we're doing is looking to invite new, uh, new blood onto the register effectively. We, we, we're very domiciled in, in, in terms of local holders in Australia. What we wanted to do is take, and I'll use the term conviction, we wanted to bring conviction money onto the, to the register and then naturally funds who play in this space, the battery material space, the resources space, et cetera. And that's patient money, money that can stay with us and in fact build their positions as we go through development. That's ideally what we're after. The re-rating that comes with that I think is also a bonus for existing shareholders. So could you have filled it in Australia if you wanted to? Sure. No, we could have. We could have, but we'd be fishing in a very small institutional pond relative to what you know right. overseas holds. I think it's a, it's a point worth making because sometimes companies go international because they can't do it at home, which says it's, you know, it doesn't say anything positive about them. But you've, you've deliberately chosen to go and get a different type of cash to um, you know get, get new blood in here. So that's that's good news. Um, can we just talk about the, the sort of the, the types of um, people again specifically? So are they specialist type institutions or are they just general? General because we've seen a lot of you know, generalists come into the battery thematic? Yeah, look, I, I'd say a combination. I think the core of them are resor dedicated resources and the core of them are specialist uh, battery or green or ESG style funds. There, are, there is a couple of those nine that I touched on earlier that would be uh, generalist funds who have that particular research capability. I think what we've done is had uh, a long roadshow with those funds. We were, we were marketing uh, the company for about a month before the raise and we were comfortable with the quality of the partners that were presented to us and comfortable that they were, if you like, initial investors in a much larger pond of money internationally. Okay, and you've done, so what did you offer people? What, what was it priced at? 
Why did you have to Oh, okay. Like so the, the stock cleared at 30 cents, about a 15% discount on the VWAP. And then um, what we did was created a structure which meant um, which created the incentive effectively where we offered a half an option per share at a 45 cent strike. In other words, a 50% uplift from that. Um, from a company point of view, that's very attractive. It means we get a second capital raise uh, next year at a, a 45 cent strike. It also means we're raising money across even today, inclusive of those options at about 35 cents, which is pretty much where VWAP was at the time. So it incentivized long-dated holding um, we were fishing in those right jurisdictions. As I mentioned, the re-rate potential was there. And overall, we're very happy. Indeed, we were quite brutal locally with respect to some other um, um, funds trying to fish into that, which we didn't think made the quality for us. Yeah. Yes, yeah, interesting. It's because I guess some some people play the game of I'll just take the I'll buy the shares, but I'm, I'm in it for the options and they sell down quickly. You think you've got long-term holders? Yeah, look, the market will make a fool of us all, I guess, and so the next few weeks we'll know. But um, I'm, I'm comfortable when I'm, I've looked the board in the eye and say this is about as high quality of book as we could have hoped to get. And again, I think the future will tell whether that's true or not. True. Okay, better talk about use of proceeds. What are you going to do with this money? Well, glad you asked. We are doing two things. Firstly, we want to get through the demonstration scale plant for us. Um, and then if the options convert, that effectively gives us, gives us the aggregate of money required to get all the way through um, to a final investment decision. So as we're technically advancing the project, what we've just done now is financially de-risk the project to get through to FID. Um, what that means is in the near term, as we build the demonstration plant, we want to put an open for business tag on the company and say to investors and importantly, commercial partners, please come and visit. Um, we will be open effectively for assessment from uh, late Q3, so next three months. And what we want to do is encourage fund managers um, commercial partners and all of those due diligence style um, uh, people to come have a look at the site, have a look at the plant, and importantly, look at the ore in the ground being converted all the way to a battery-ready product under one roof. And that's incredibly important in providing that confidence. Um, what I'm really excited about is to tell you that the first of those commercial partners came through four weeks ago, uh, effectively, as we opened the plant. So there's a tremendous appetite at the moment for non-African cobalt. And I'll use the terminology that was expressed to me by one of the partners. We're very, very interested in non-African cobalt going forward. Okay, well, the thing that we talked about last time out back in April was not just the number of people looking for samples from you, but the the increase in size of the samples that they're looking from you. People seem very, very keen to secure the a supply of cobalt, not, not just because it's ex-Africa, but because they're struggling to find cobalt elsewhere at the quality yeah. that they need to give them the security with their supply chain. So um, can you can you talk about your ability to actually deliver into that? Yeah, yeah. So look, the, the, the pilot scale plant, I'll talk about where we're at in terms of the sample distribution shortly, but the pilot scale plant is really a door opener for us. So this will be distributed to 30... I don't have the exact number, 33, 34 partners. Some of them are trading houses who will look to see if they can market that. Others are uh, precursor or cathode makers to look to see if they can consume it. And some of them are EV makers to look to see if that fits their portfolio of raw materials needs. But it just opens the door and it allows a conversation to happen. 
Secondly, at the demonstration scale plant is, is where you touched on much larger scale of production and much larger what we call pre-qualification as a supplier uh, processing to continue. So by way of example, we would expect an individual battery maker to ask for 60, 70, 80 kilograms of product at that stage, typically in parcels of five to 10 kilograms. And what they're after is this bloody-minded pursuit of purity, repeatability, purity, repeatability. And they do it again and again and again. In parallel with that, they'd be doing all the technical audits. So I talked about earlier about getting their analysts on site, getting their analysts to the plant, understanding how the process works and what the risks in the process are. The fact is you can make 100 kilos of product is only one step in assuaging their risks in terms of becoming a long-term supplier. Then on top of that, you overlay uh, financial risks, ESG, et cetera, et cetera. So that whole process can take a year or so. But what's exciting for us is that process can actually start ahead of those bigger samples. And what I'm uh, looking to do with our uh, commercial partners is actually get them from Q3 onwards, visiting the site, visiting the plant ahead of those dispatch of samples so that we can do a clock on event in terms of due diligence. It's, it's, it's interesting because there's, there's, a, there's a moment. I appreciate the process that you've got to get through to get people to um, trust your ability to deliver the, the right quality and grade with, without the impurities and consistently and all of that, right? So that's a process you've got to get through. But there's a point in time where it moves from a buyer's market to a seller's market. Right. Mm -hmm. And that I think that's quite interesting in, in the context of cobalt. And I probably maybe worth coming on to um also kind of run run through some of the things that you've been doing. Because I'm I'm always intrigued about that sort of trigger moment um and you know when you think it would be. I mean, so just in just in the context of what you're seeing in the marketplace, it, are we close to that moment? Is that, is it, or is it right now, um, there's enough cobalt out there and people are gonna have choice? Look, um, I think at the moment, the price, uh, let me take a step back. I think at the moment, the market is so disintermediated that the price signaling has failed to incentivize the, the mines. So we're seeing a, a cobalt price in the NMB or our fast markets, 21 bucks. Um, is that enough? To incentivize, no, it's probably not large scale because it's well below long-term trend. Long-term is around 25, 26 bucks. So the prices of signal is currently failing. I'd say it's still a buyer's market. We have seen some indication that's not the case with respect to long-term offtakes being signed between you know, Glencore and counterparties. There's probably four or five of those contracts we can name. Um, so there's some there's some indications that long-term buyers is upsetting that, but the spot price still is, is, is where it is. Um, I think that's just a matter of time as a signal. Uh, and I think that's a matter of time in the next 12 to 24 months that we wear down these surface stocks and these new consumers, these chemical consumers of cobalt, as opposed to historical consumers were metallurgical consumers, these new consumers will dominate not only the end metal price, but also all those intermediates that, for example, we hope to make an MHP. And it's those new consumers that will inadvertently create the seller's market that you talk about. Can you just describe that for people, perhaps me coming into this and looking at So the, the, the chemical consumers, metallurgical consumers, what, what, are the, what do they both need your product for? Yeah, so look, historically, the, the vast majority of cobalt was used for metallurgical processes. So, you know, alloying, um, um, hard-facing tools, metallurgy, um, magnetic tool sets, etc. 
It was really in the last 20 years that we've seen chemical cobalt. There are some dyes and, and others, but basically, if I focus on the battery set, um, and in the last handful of years, that has actually become greater than 50% of the market. The difference is um, all those intermediate payables were set by metallurgical uses growing at GDP times two, times one. What's happened in the last year is that the metallurgical market has been decimated because a lot of those end industries, alloy, gas turbines, airframes, have shrunk because of COVID at exactly the same time where the chemical demand uh, as a result of batteries has skyrocketed. So now the marginal purchaser, by definition, is, is the chemical guy, and his ability to pay away for the intermediates is much higher because his conversion costs are lower. To convert from an intermediate to a sulfate, a couple of bucks. Convert from an intermediate MHP to a metallurgical um, Electro One metal is, you know, two or three times that. So it's pulled up all the payables. It's pulling up the end cobalt price. It'll continue to do so, and I think it'll create new longer dated trends in the industry, not only of the end price being superior, but all those intermediate products as well. The other thing it does is start to bring duration to the market. There aren't adequate instruments for um, co consumers globally to enter into longer term contracts. They have to do that company to company. But what we are seeing, and I did touch on last time, is some of the first financial contracts between end consumers and traders that financially hedge that exposure on CME um, exchange in particular. So as they're going long, the underlying, because they're, sorry, as they're buying a cobalt physical, which because they're short, they're going long the, the financial contract to try and hedge that exposure financially. So there are signs that duration is increasing as well. And you asked earlier about sw switching from a seller's, um, sorry, from a buyer's to a seller's market that duration also helps us tremendously because it means as an up and coming mine, we have that guarantee or that surety that we can then take that to a bank. So, the, but the metallurgical um, sector has, has been hit by COVID. It doesn't mean it's been killed. It just means that they haven't been able to operate, supply chains have been affected, but at some point that comes back on tap. That's gotta be a good thing. No, no, absolutely. That adds tension. That's fantastic. But what I am saying is that the marginal buyer so if we take the mixed hydroxide product as that final intermediate and then there's a, a, a bifurcation in the process one goes to metallurgical one goes to chemical traditionally the metallurgical guys set that price and that payability now as an incoming cobalt project that payability for us is king because we can take advantage of it and make that lower grade product but what we're seeing now is because the demand on the chemical side is so high and the cost to convert from the intermediate to the final product is relatively narrow compared to the other um, processing pathway, you're seeing payables go up as well as the end product price. And so, and, and so as that grows, so 50, 60 to 70% of the market, you'll end up having it as permanently dominating the pricing transaction. Brilliant, okay. Now, I wanna know, as, uh, if, as an investor, I'd wanna know what, not just what you're doing with your money, but the timing of all of this. So you're gonna make this transition into the demonstration plant. So, so what is the timing? How much bigger is it going to be? You know, what, what are the milestones to be able to deliver that, that, you know, and, and, and could those be affected by anything? Okay. So firstly, let me just correct a, a, a perception that some of our uh, shareholders have. Pilot plant, as it exists today and is running, contains the majority of equipment that we need to transition to a demonstration scale plant. In some cases, 
um, for example, in the leaching circuit, the scale-up is premised on additional one or two pieces of equipment. So the biggest difference between the two plants for us and, and where the money will go is effectively some on the equipment to scale, but running it 24-7 means I need the arms and legs. I need the, 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 the personnel to run. So about half of our funds raised will be running the plant as opposed to the equipment side. But that's, I'd say to everyone, that's invaluable because if we get good trained operators today, they will significantly de-risk commissioning and risk of the commercial plant going forward. In other words, we're investing today in the right people and the right equipment in order for us not to learn the hard lessons of the commercial plant. So, so a major use of these funds will be towards additional equipment, and training. I would also say that there's been significant lessons learned in the last three months, and those have translated now into operating procedures. So we're finalising operating procedures to move to a larger scale. Again, really important when you're commissioning bigger scale of plant. One of the biggest lessons of commissioning commercial plants globally is how people interact with that equipment, not necessarily the equipment itself. Um, we've also identified and spending money on long lead items. So there are some genuinely new pieces of equipment, for example, the furnace, which we don't have in the process at Broken Hill. That'll be retrofitted. That's been identified and ordered, and that'll be about a 13-week 13 13 week lead time from last week or so. So there is some genuinely new equipment. We've also recently signed a MOU with Honeywell, which is one of the world's preeminent uh, control systems producers. And I've been asked, why? And what we want to do with Honeywell is put in a commercial grade, effectively a, a, a best in class control and instrumentation system at the demo plant level. Why? Because very simply, when you find joint venture partners for a project, you're not selling the project, you're selling the data. And if you've got the systems that can pick up the data and, and, and characterize it and, and, and pass that to a due diligence partner for assessment, you're in a lot stronger position, not to mention then a stronger position to scale that plant and equipment to a commercial quality. Okay, so we're actually talking of which then, what is the timing from being able to deliver these samples and you know, and what sort of quantity are we talking about? Are you going to be able to deliver into that? You're talking about 32, 34 people with their hands up going, please send me some stuff. It's tricky. Yeah, so uh, samples are being made and the uh, dispatch processing has started effectively. We would think, depending on when, when this interview goes to where, we've probably got another three to, to four weeks at most to get through that. We're making, our target is to make around 25 kilograms of the MHP a week. We need, at this sample stage, probably around 90. So you can do the math on what's required. We've reserved the very first product to our very first commercial partner, and I'll let you pontificate on who that actually is. But um, one of those partners in that lot actually wants to pre-qualify us. They're, they're trying to use the pilots from what we had intended the demonstration scale plant to do. So there's such a urgency to source new cobalt product that one of them actually wants to start that process right here and now. So that's the near term. We're looking to commission the demonstration scale plant by Christmas. I mentioned earlier, prior to Christmas, we'll have our first um, investor roadshows um, coming in. And then we want to run effectively steady state demonstration plant across Q1, possibly into early Q2 next year. And in parallel, um, do all of the other engineering, technical, uh, environmental and other studies. The pilot, sorry, the demonstration scale plant, it's important to note, will inform the engineering studies at the end. So right sizing the furnace, the, the, the autoclaves, et cetera, learning those lessons. 
All of that leads to a late 2022 delivery of an FS, which will likely now make, uh, you know, be a, a Q1 with an FID in that Q1 period. Um, but importantly, the demonstration scale plant triggers off a series of commercial interactions, which I touched on earlier. So we're going to run a commercial uh, partner search with the confidence that the process has been proven on a much bigger scale, that the product meets their specifications at the same time as those technical studies. I think that's that's really interesting to me because if if I look at other sort of technical uh, materials, um, commodities, um, you need to spec your plant, the one that you're building, to meet their commercial imperatives, right? You're going to have to deliver a certain spec to them. So you're going to have to have these conversations pre-designing that kind of flow shape, pre you know, set, setting up of the of the plan. So you're going to know before you, well, are you going to know before final investment decision what you're walking into, i.e., will you have signed long-term contracts with whoever it is, I'm assuming, you know, battery, battery manufacturers or, or, or automotive company. Will, so will that happen? Does that give us a sense of the timing with the, um, or, or the types of conversations you're having right now? Yeah, look, a few questions in that, but I would start with your first part of the question first. It's entirely possible that we sign a partner and next year says, actually, it's not big enough, make it bigger. Um, I like what I see. You've proved it up on this scale, but actually we want to make it two or three times bigger. And then the incremental capex is pretty small for that and because the arms and legs are already there. So it's entirely possible. It's entirely possible a partner will say, actually, I want you to focus on the MHP, but a higher purity of MHP. Um, or vice versa, going back to uh, a sulfate, but making a separate cobalt sulfate because we have some byproduct um, uh, nickel, some small, making a separate sulfate for that. But because the um, battery world is so bespoke, we may have a partner that says, "I want that product specifically focused upon." So that's that's the that's the right. first point. Okay, so uh, can I just ask a question? If that is the case. And you say, well, if there is a, if it's possible that you may have a conversation about scaling this thing up at their request, how does the money work? Do you say, yeah, we can do that, but you're going to stump up the additional incremental cash for us to do so on good terms so that your shareholders don't get um, diluted? I mean, what, 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 because again, it comes back to that, you know, it's a buyer's market or a seller's market. You know, at that point, it becomes a seller's market, surely. Yeah, yeah. Look, I'll, I'll say this to you. So, without a partner, we're naturally going to deliver a feasibility, if you like, a bankable feasibility that has two separate outcomes. So, two different projects, if you like. One, an MHP only, the intermediate, and the other with the addition of the sulfate. That's easy. It's actually not that difficult because the MHP is a feedstock for the final. So, it's not like they're different plant or there's a redundancy in that. Uh, sorry, a, an unnecessary circuit in that plant. So firstly, without a partner, we're going to make two products and effectively two different BFS cases. If we get a partner, then I don't use that term lightly. This is a partner we're going to get into bed with and go through the financing stage. We will look at a partnership that draws down those first cash flows when we need them, which is, to your point, any variations from here on, any material variations will have to be funded. And that partner, by virtue of them focusing on a particular outcome, will help us with that funding. So it's entirely possible a partner will come in sooner rather than later, help us with some dispensement of funds required to customise the outcomes to their liking, but still focused on the longer-term picture of joint venture ownership. 
It's also entirely possible that the agreement between parties will be then commensurate on the final FS and all the certainty of those economics, as opposed to what is at PFS level still a, a, a constrained but a best guess. So there's a number of mechanisms, and I'm revealing a lot in this conversation, but there's a number of mechanisms in place which has a very fair outcome for both partners, yet brings in cash flow when we need it most. We've seen some instances of automotive companies moving upstream, you know, you know to, to degree, in terms of like securing offtake or even buying companies. Do, do you think we're going to see more of that where you know, automotive companies to secure their future supply actually move upstream and acquire uh, mines? Because they, they're in the business of putting cars, car parks together to sell cars. Um, they're not in miners per se, but in, in difficult times, people have to make difficult choices. Do you think we're going to see more of that? I do. Look, there's a broader question of what we're seeing in, in, in the EV market. But well, I, I think that these uh, these OEMs that are revealing this new portfolio of, 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 of vehicles, so Tesla did that last year, VW did that in their power day, that's an ecosystem of EVs, if you like. It's clear that those and others will have to show the world not only what they want to make in terms of, and these are ground-up EVs, by the way, they're no longer internal combustion engine chassis, which have been remodelled in a quick fix. These are ground-up EVs. Um, but they'll have to show the market how they're going to source the product. We're starting to see some of that now in, in press releases say, we're going to make these this commitment to electric vehicles. By the way, we've started shaping the ecosystem that feeds this particular platform. And I think you'll see in some cases uh, EV makers taking direct stakes, but I think in general their capital commitments will be more downstream in general, but they'll cause their um, their upstream uh, partners to take those stakes by giving them the certainty that if they buy that project or enter into those agreements, that that volume of cobalt will pass through that precursor onto an eventual contract that'll make its way into a, uh, let me pick an example, a GM platform, which is a seven, or, seven to eight year EV life cycle for a particular platform. So it's a very long-winded way of saying you've got a new generation of, of cobalt uh, consumers who need long-dated surety and they're prepared to flex their capital structures upstream as far as it takes to create that surety. So for, for companies like yours, to get the financing at a price which is you know, good, attractive, not expensive, you're, you're going to need to see these long-term contracts, these long-dated contracts. What does long-dated mean, do, do you think? Um, well, I... Okay, so I'll answer it from, I'll put my cobalt blue hat on and just from a purely greedy corporate perspective, there are two, um, when I think of long-datedness, there are two answers. There's an additional, additional answer to get us through this um, project financing period. Typically, bank tenure would be four, five, six, seven years, no more than six or seven. Now, your first cash flow would be probably two, two and a half, two and a half years before initial production, that's your construction phase. So you've only got three or four years left of tenure once you've got commissioning underway. What you need in that first initial long-dated period is the security um, uh, to have a contract backed by a reputable partner, a blank will into, as well as having partners in the tent, the tent with you should things go astray. For example, a completion guarantee or a, a cost overrun facility. So these are these lines of credit that sit behind 
the project that engineers have said, actually, if things go badly, they'll probably need another 15, maybe 20% of the capital cost sitting there as a reserve. Now, that's my first un- my first view of, of long-dated offtake. Get us through that foundation offtake period to satisfy the bank, get us into production. The next answer then is part of a broader portfolio of offtake. How does long-term offtake, five, six, seven, 10 years, uh, interact with short-term? What's my maximum return? How do I do my risks? Some of the times, what, happen- what happens if I make an off-spec product? That'll be typically a shorter-term offtake, different style of offtaker. So you can become a lot more sexy with the longer term and get a more optimal um, outcome at that stage than you can with the more hard and fast and rigor of this, this initial foundation period. Because it strikes me as a, a former banker, you know, I, I like certainty um, as much as the next man. Um, but I, I, I kind of want to know if you can secure all the money you need from one partner in perpetuity, rather than see you, you know, wiggling around and maybe making a, f- a little bit more margin here, a little bit more margin there, because that that yeah. that that way, you know, madness lies in the sense that you don't know what the market holds. So if you've got long-term fixed contract, I'm talking 10, 15-year contracts, or someone turns around to you and said, "Hey, do you know what, Joe? Give me everything. I want everything." Would you do that kind of deal? Well, let me answer it this way. That's the proposition that we'll be looking at next year or so, because it's clear if you just do this, the math on what we would be producing, three and a half thousand tonne of cobalt would not even feed a 30 gigawatt hour facility. And that's just a building block for a singular OEM in the next decade. So in terms of quantum, we could be a dedicated um, source for one for one customer. So in terms of being able to provide our shelters of security, and, and your point was more on the banking side, providing that security of one offtake partner, credit worthy, that's actually not going to be a major issue. Longer term, would we need uh, to de-risk our own um, offtake with multiple partners? Then that's, that is a luxury then we can entertain. But certainly right here, right now, the future in the next five to 10 years of offtake could well mean that one partner dominates, if not monopolises that offtake, but we would need to, to make sure that from a risk point of view that we'd be prepared to take that contract. Okay, you've given us a few clues with regards to the mood and the narrative from the OEMs, right? So the motor manufacturers mm-hmm. where, uh, you know, where they're saying, hey, long-term contracts, hey, we need samples, we need um, XDRC, XDRC, right? So they're, they're, you've got some clues there, but what's what's the kind of mood, as it were, in in the sense that how how keen are they in the conversations that you're having? Because normally they it's usually poker face, right? We're we're in charge here, buyer's market, poker face, poker face. But are you sensing a little warming up or a little you know need to, to be your friend? Um. Well, I am because um, let me answer it a couple of ways. Traditionally, if you were a a material supplier into the uh, automotive industry, you're a price taker. It's all about price. Can you guarantee me that that seat belt, that part, that that rubber at a certain price because it's ultimately a commodity and there's plenty of it and you need price, price, price and price and, and the OEMs, on a good year, make 10%, 15% on the margin. On a bad year, they, they're underwater. This sprint to an electric vehicle future, which is basically a threat to the existence of the industry as it stands if you don't change, is, I think, 
causing one eye to stay on price, the other eye to look at supply. So the discussions we're having today, because we're still one or two years away from production, is about quantum, it's about supply. And they're prepared to concede a price-linked contract to price of the day. So it's an unusual sense in that very far-dated contract. They're, they're looking to contract out. I mean, the sweet spot today is two or three years ahead of production. If you're, if you're in production the next two years, you'll get an off-take contract as soon as you blink an eye. But even longer dated, they're looking to enter into. And these are OEMs, again, these aren't the battery makers or the, or the cathode makers or the pre These are the OEMs directly in those conversations. So I, I think there's a lot to be very bullish over. And I think in the near term, it's all about supply. And what you will see as GM, Ford in the US, BMW, VW, Stellantis, et cetera, in, in Europe roll out their all ecosystem is here's what we're going to make. This is our commitment. But importantly, here is the supply chain that will feed into that. And we've started effectively pre-qualifying or qualifying those critical materials into that supply chain. Joe, thanks for coming in today and talking us. I mean, one congratulations on the raise. That's that's such good news. And as you do, you know, it's a nice run road you've got ahead of you. Uh, now, um, also appreciate your insight into the market um, too. So, things looking bright for Cobalt. No problem. It's a pleasure to be on as always, Matt. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.